This is the seventh Sunday since our Easter celebration. On each Lord's Day, we have focused on the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. We continue with that theme this morning. We usually think of the post-resurrection appearances as taking place between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. However, two of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus in the New Testament take place after the ascension. Two weeks ago, we saw the risen and ascended Jesus appear and confront Saul on the road to Damascus. This morning, we will see the risen and ascended Jesus as he appears to John and actually shows him what I think is the most exciting scene in all of Scripture. John actually visits the ascended Jesus in glory. Let's read about that. Revelation 4, beginning with verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings, and pearls of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal. And around the throne... On each side of the throne are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now we continue in chapter 5 with verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, oh, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering millions and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and on the earth, and in the sea, and all to him who is on the throne, and to the Lamb, be an honor, and ever. Four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down, and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, again this morning, we are separated geographically, but we bow together before your throne as a congregation, united in Christ, united before you. Our Father, we thank you. We come in thanksgiving for how you have blessed us during these last few weeks, during these last two months. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your care that has been seen in so many obvious ways in each of our lives, in each of our families. Our Father, we pray that you would continue to protect us, protect our members, protect our families from this virus. Father, especially those members that are most at risk, our senior members, members that are at risk for other reasons. Oh, Father, bless us. Keep us. You know our needs. 
the sickness that is there. You know better than, than all of us do. There are those of us that have needs because of sickness and illness, needs because we're hurting in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships. Our Father, we pray that you would comfort those in sorrow, We pray that you would be with our members and friends and families who are in the front line of fighting this virus, who every day or every evening go to hospitals or go to medical centers and serve on the front line fighting this virus. Protect them. Bless them, Father. You know them each by name. We pray boldly that you would take away this virus. You would just remove it completely by the power of your hand. Our Father, we pray for our families who are hurting economically. We pray, our Father, that you would restore jobs, restore work, Father, bless us as we strive to recover financially. We pray that you would prosper the members of this congregation. We pray that you would prosper Fayette County and Shelby County. Now, Father, as we open your word, we pray that you would teach us. Give us eyes to see you. Give us ears to hear you. Our Father John Sartell cannot teach, cannot preach, so that we will be changed from the inside out. But we've heard your voice before. And we pray that this morning, Wherever we are, we pray that we would hear your voice in our hearts. That we would see, that we would hear, and we would understand and rejoice in your word. Thank you, Father. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. John, what did you see in heaven? I must apologize those of you who attended our Wednesday evening winter 2020 Bible study. Much of the sermon from lesson four in that study of Revelation. I should say this. Much of this sermon came from lesson four of that study in Revelation. So what do all of us need to know as we approach these two profound chapters. First, we need to know that Revelation is a book of prophecy, a book of mysterious imagery, a book of praise and doxology, a book of judgment, and a story of a great victory. However, no matter what the emphasis 
is in a particular chapter, always, always, the risen and ascended Jesus in glory is being revealed, is being unveiled. The Gospels, think about it. The Gospels reveal Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, in his life on earth. Revelation reveals Jesus after the ascension, reveals Jesus in glory. In chapters 4 and 5, the chapters we read this morning, the scene is heaven. The emphasis in this scene is doxology and praise. But the major theme of Jesus being unveiled, of Jesus being revealed in glory, is still there. You'll see that this morning. If this were a play, we would say that Revelation 4 and 5 make up one act. But it is one act with two scenes. Both scenes take place in heaven. The emphasis of both scenes is praise and doxology. The main character in scene one in Revelation 4 is God the Father. The scene begins with John seeing an open door in heaven. He heard the voice that he heard in chapter 1. The voice of the risen, ascended, and reigning Jesus. The voice told him to come up and enter the door. John enters the door and finds himself immediately before the throne of God Almighty. He saw that someone was seated on the throne, but there was so much glory, so much light. The bright aura coming from the throne was the color of jasper and carnelian. There was a rainbow around the throne, a shining bright rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. John was seeing the glory of God. Around that throne were 24 other thrones. There were 24 elders seated on those thrones. They were dressed in white robes. They wore crowns like kings. The people of God, the church, Christians, are always pictured in Revelation wearing the white robes. I believe that they most likely, these 24 elders, most likely represent the 12 tribes of Israel in the Old Testament and the apostles in the New Testament. That would mean that together they represent the church of the Old and New Testaments. Stop and look at this. This is an active scene. This is a historical scene. The scene is overpowered. The brightness of the glory of God coming from the throne. The 24 elders seated on the thrones. What a sight. But add to that lightning bolts, loud thunder, and the constant noise of rumblings. Look at verse 5. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And then... Then John saw seven torches that represented, we read, the seven spirits of God. Those seven spirits were mentioned in chapter 1. 
Again, they're different views, but I believe the one that is most consistent with Scripture is that these represent the perfection of the Holy Spirit. Seven is a symbol of perfection all through Scripture. In these two scenes, think about it. You have the church. You have the Father and the Son. But where's the Holy Spirit? Those seven spirits represent the one Holy Spirit. The scene just keeps building, stretching John's ability to take all of this into his mind, into his sight. For there is more for John to see. On each side of the throne are four living creatures. And how strange they are. They're full of eyes, front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature was like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. They each have six wings. Now, before we start shaking our head in wonderment and just saying, what in the world? We must remember that our creator, the God who made us, also made creatures like the octopus. How odd looking. The giraffe, the hippopotamus, the peacock, the platypus. He made some strange, strange creatures, didn't he? I agree with those who believe these four creatures represent the creatures of God's creation. The lion represents the wild animals. The ox represents the domesticated animals. Man represents mankind, humankind. The eagle represents the creatures who fly. Together, they represent God's creation. We are told all through Scripture, you can read it in Psalm 19, that the creation praises the Creator night and day, ceaselessly, constantly. And so what are these four creatures doing constantly? Look at it. We read here that these four creatures never cease to praise God, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Seeing John is observing, just continues as the four living creatures speak praise to the one seated on the throne. The 24 elders fall down before the throne and cast their crowns before him. And they're saying, worthy, worthy are you. Don't forget that word. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is he worthy? They tell us, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Their worship is centered on the Creator, on God the Creator. We remember that we said the main character in Revelation 4, in the scene in Revelation 4, is God the Father. This scene praises Him as Creator. There's nothing in this first scene about redemption. There's nothing in this first scene about salvation. This is a picture of the transcendent Father, the Ancient of Days, 
the creator of heaven and earth. And his creation in heaven and earth are praising him. Now we stop. I want you to think about that. Stop and think about it for a moment. If all of heaven is continually praising God for his creation, should we not do the same thing in our hymn of praise this very morning? We sang a hymn that did not mention our salvation. It did not mention the cross or resurrection. Remember, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. We were joining all of heaven in praising God for his creation in which we live. When we get home, we will discover that we did not wonder that we did not wonder enough, that we did not stand in awe enough at his creation. We, when we get home, we will know that we did not praise him nearly enough for his creation. We did not enjoy his creation nearly as much as we should have. There was a time in my life that I gave little time to this, standing in awe of his creation, praising him for his creation. You know, I didn't have the theology to understand it. That's why I'm spending time with you teaching this today. I was a Christian. I loved Jesus. But I did not praise God for his creation. I did not stand in wonder and awe daily at his creation. I did not revel in his creation as I should have. Now, now I've changed. Every day, I try to make a conscious effort in that day to look in wonder and stand in awe at some respect, in some aspect of his creation. Every day, I want to be able to to say at the end of the day, today I reveled in his creation and I praise him for the world he's given me. We said we can think of chapters of chapter four and five as being a single act with two scenes. We've seen scene one. We now move to the second scene that we see in chapter 5, John says that there's a scroll in the right hand of God the Father sitting on the throne. What's a scroll? Think of it as a book. Today we open a book and we begin to read. Well, they didn't open a book and begin to read in that day. They had a scroll, a scroll. Scroll of parchment. It was parchment that was rolled up on a spool. It's like a paper towel. A roll of paper towel on a spool. That's what, the, that's what the scroll looked like. And the scroll would be sealed with seals to hold it. This scroll 
that John sees is a huge scroll, and it's, it's sealed with seven seals. For centuries, such scrolls and documents had been sealed with wax, impressed with the author's insignia. This ensured authenticity, security, and privacy. A sealed scroll could not be read until the seals were broken. The seals represented the owner's authority and could not be broken without his authorization. What was this sealed scroll in the hand of God? I believe the view most consistent with Scripture is that this scroll was the deed to all of the deed to God's providence, to God's plan, from creation to the consummation of all of history. In this scene, John sees a mighty angel. Read this, this is a mighty angel, a great angel, who steps forth and with a shout, with a thundering voice, shouts, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? As wonderful and as mighty and powerful as this great angel was, he could not break the seals. He was not worthy. John, the apostle, began to weep as no one claimed the authority to open the scroll. Was there no owner? Even in heaven, was there no one who held the power of ownership over all the earth? That would indeed be a reason to weep. But one of the 24 elders tells John, don't cry. Look, look, the Lion of Judah, the Lion of Judah has conquered so he can break the seals and open the scroll. What, what did he mean, the Lion of Judah? This is beautiful. We wonder every week at the unity of Scripture from beginning to end. Well, back in Genesis 49, all the way back then, Genesis 49, verse 8, Jacob is on his deathbed. He was speaking prophetic blessings over each of his sons. In verse 8, he begins the prophetic blessing that he spoke to his fourth son, Judah. I'll read it to you. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse him? The scepter, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between its feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nation is his. He's saying, Judah, you will be like a lion. Your brothers will bow down to you like the king of beasts you will rule. From you will come rulers of my people. You know, you remember, David and his family were from the tribe of Judah. This is prophecy. The scepter will not depart from your house, Judah, until one who comes to whom the scepter really belongs, 
A ruler shall come from you that will be the king of all kings. Do you know the next time that prophecy is mentioned? It's not mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in the New Testament until you get to the book of Revelation, until you get to the fifth chapter. The next time the ancient prophecy from Jacob is mentioned is in Revelation 5, 5. This is the true line of Judah mentioned by Jacob. He holds the true and ultimate scepter. He alone is the king of kings, the king of all the earth, the king of all of history. And who is the Lion of Judah? When John looks up to see, he does not see a lion. He sees a lamb. A lamb standing there, but somehow the lamb looks like it has been slain. Yet the lamb, had, the lamb had seven horns. Remember, horns were a sign of power. So this lamb had seven horns. It had ultimate, perfect power. Then John saw the lamb take the scroll. Jesus is referred to in Revelation as the lamb 28 times. What a paradox. The line of Judah is the Lamb of God who was slain. Now, what happened? Remember, this is, this is not uh, a doctrinal teaching like Romans. This is a narrative, a story. This is a historical scene that's taking place. Yes, it's not on this earth, but it's in glory. It's in heaven. What happened when the Lamb took the scroll? All of heaven broke out in praise, gigantic, wonderful praise. Let me read it one more time. Verse 8, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And, pay attention, and they sang a new song. Worthy, remember the word worthy? Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Why? For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. First, it was the four living creatures and 24 elders who began to sing. Did you see it? We emphasized it. It was a new song. It was a new song. Have you ever wondered when you read that what that meant? The first song that we heard sung in chapter 4 was in praise of the Creator. But now there's a new song in heaven. A song about redemption. A song about a lamb slain for the sins of God's people. This hymn had not been heard in heaven previously. John was seeing the coronation of Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man. He had returned home to glory, and this was his coronation. This was his true ascension. Remember, he remained on the earth after the resurrection for 40 days. This last week, we celebrated Ascension Day. Forty days after the resurrection, Jesus ascended. 
We're seeing in this what happened as he ascended to glory. The true ascension, the true exaltation of Jesus. That's what we're seeing in chapter 5. In chapter five. When the four living creatures and the 24 elders were joined, they were joined in this great new doxology by tens of thousands of angels. So it began with the four living creatures, the elder. They sang the first verse. And then here comes a million angels. Together, they sang another verse to the hymn. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor. Glory and blessing. Then the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the tens of thousands of angels were joined by all of heaven and all of earth to sing the last verse of this doxology. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. Wow. Those are the two scenes. Those are the two scenes. Let's go back to the first one for just a moment. With the four living creatures and the 24 elders, we sing hymns of praise to the Creator. We stand in awe of the creation. We stand in awe of the Creator. As Christians, no one on this earth should enjoy God's creation more than we do. We should revel in the garden He has given us. Yes, it's been marred by our sin and rebellion against Him, but we can still see and hear and smell and taste and feel the magnificent goodness to us that He has shown in His creation. I've said it over and over again. Folks, he gave us strawberries and cream, and he gave us taste buds to enjoy such delicacies. We should revel in his creation. Enjoy it, and then with a greater joy, praise him. But there are even better hymns of praise. Those are the new songs. Those are the new songs of Revelation 5. Songs of redemption. Songs about the Lamb. Songs about the Savior. Songs about a cross. Songs about a resurrection. Songs about death being defeated. Songs about a risen, ascended, and reigning King. Folks, we will sing the hymns of Revelation 4 and 5. Even in this fallen and hostile world. And we will sing them in victory for all eternity. Our hymn of praise to the Lord this morning. Our hymn of redemption this morning. Our new song will be, as we close our service, crown him with many crowns. But before we sing that, I want to say a benediction. Remember, benediction is not a prayer. It's a declaration of Scripture. We do it. We've done it and ended our worship with it every Sunday. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be inside of us and go with us and abide with us. And all of God's people said,